0: by which God brought about, the Reformation, and the blessing of the recapturing of the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're going to begin at Romans chapter 1, verse 8, and then we're going to read through verse 17, and our message this morning is on the last phrase of the 17th verse. Paul writes to the church at Rome and to you and I in these breathed out words of the Spirit. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's again bow and ask for God's blessing. Father, we ask that we may understand. What your word is proclaiming to us and help our pastor give what is needed to that end in our savior's name we pray amen and amen so we'll look at this phrase this portion of the verse this glorious truth this central message of the gospel the righteous shall live by faith under three headings this morning first of all the repeated truth it's a repeated truth Secondly, a defined truth. And thirdly, it's a freeing truth. Repeated, defined, and freeing. See, this phrase, if you look at it even in your English Bibles, you'll find is in quotation marks. If you have a, a study Bible, it probably already you're already ahead of me and you could fill in the rest of number one. It's repeated because this verse comes to us from the Old Testament. It doesn't come from us from one of those major prophets, though, of Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Daniel. Doesn't come from the pen of David, the great psalm writer, or from the hand of Moses, who gives us most of the Old Testament. No, it comes to us from a minor prophet, man by the name of Habakkuk. And you'll find about as many different pronunciations of his name as there are individuals. But we'll go with Habakkuk. He's the one who God, through the Spirit, inspired to write those words originally. It's found in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. We'll come back to that at the end of uh, the message. But just know... That this verse, that phrase, did not originate with Paul, doesn't originate with Martin Luther, it doesn't originate with the Reformation, it actually comes to us out of the Old Testament. It is God's consistent, continual teaching through His Word. That which we find in the Old Testament is as true as we find it in the New, the just The righteous shall live by faith. Secondly, it's also repeated in the New Testament three times. It's found here in this passage we have in Romans. It's found in the book of Galatians 3.11. And it's found in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38. But your study Bibles tell you that most likely. The point is, this verse does become a major Verse in our understanding not only of Christianity as a whole, but our understanding of the gospel and our understanding of salvation. It becomes, as, as one writer said, the hinge upon which it all is based. The righteous shall live by faith. So let's look at that. Let's define it. Let's break it down into its parts. Now I arranged it slightly different. Not because I'm trying to be uh, some rewriting scripture. But because I think that this order will perhaps help us to focus on one particular element. The phrase is, the righteous shall live by faith. What is meant by the righteous? What what does that phrase mean? It means the righteous, those who are considered to be the righteous, are those who have been justified by God. The righteous are those who are now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Christ. See, Paul had already given us the hint of this, right? In the first part of verse 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. It's not our righteousness. Right? It's not that the righteous shall live by their own righteousness. By their own goodness. By their own holiness. No, it's the righteous shall live by faith. Faith, not in my righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. A righteousness that God is gracious to give me. That God is gracious, and, we, and the, the technical term we use is that cr- God imputes the righteousness to me. Right. This, this became a major Player in in the whole debate of what was going on. Some were teaching that God infused righteousness into us. And therefore, if there wasn't our own righteousness at work, we had no hope of salvation. The Reformation brought us not infused righteousness, but imputed righteousness. The fact that God counts. The righteousness of Jesus Christ. His righteousness. Now let me just pause and say, how is Jesus Christ righteous? Well, go back to our sermon on the Trinity. Who is Jesus Christ? He is fully God. So all the attributes that we're using to define God are true of Jesus Christ. What is one of the attributes of God? He is holy. Jesus Christ is holy. He has no sin. He is righteous. That righteousness, that holiness of Jesus Christ is imputed to me. Not put into me, but it's counted. God sees me in and through the righteousness of Christ. His righteousness is placed on my account. But it's not only that, that sort of, I, I guess we'd say natural righteousness. Jesus Christ comes into this world fully obedient to the Word. I come not to abolish the Word, but to fulfill the Word. God counts, the Father counts, the active obedience of Jesus Christ to the law in every rep- part as a worthy sacrifice To use for our atonement. Because he obeyed. He was righteous not only because he's holy. Because he's God. Because he's divine. But in his humanity he lived righteously. He lived a perfect holy life. God now counts that. God now places that righteousness of Christ. That perfect obedience. is now given to Bob Van Manen and to you. That's the righteousness we're talking about. The righteousness that is from God, not our own, but Christ. A righteousness that I no longer have to stand under the condemnation of God, the judgment of God. A righteousness that says, you and I are approved by God. That when God thinks of you and me, there is no furrow in his brow. There is no frown upon his face. There is nothing but joy. Because the righteousness of Christ is how he sees us. Sometimes we use the expression that we are clothed in the garments of the righteousness of Christ. Not in the filthy garments of our sin. God has washed us, cleansed us, and given to us the robes of Christ. We sing that hymn sometimes, don't we? His robes for mine. God takes those beautiful, holy, perfect robes of Christ and places them upon you and I, even though we are guilty, vile sinners. In Christ, I am considered righteous. What? I mean, that in and of itself just makes us stand back that that this could be even a possibility. Another way one commentator put it is this. God treats us and sees us as if we were Christ himself. The righteous. How are that righteousness ours? How does, how does that happen? What, how does God take that perfect righteousness of Christ and apply it to me? The righteous shall live by faith. Or we could phrase it, the righteous by faith. The only way for me to be righteous. The only way for that to happen. The only way for that to take place is by faith. There is no other way to achieve this. That's why Paul wrote in the early part of 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. In other words, it starts with faith and it ends with faith and it never changes. This righteousness is only by faith. It's the only means. Nothing added. Nothing more. No faith plus. No faith plus love. No faith plus the law. No faith plus the works. It is faith and faith alone. As soon as I place something else in there. As soon as I say my righteousness is dependent not just upon faith but upon blank. Upon obedience to the law, I have just gotten rid of Christ. As soon as I were to say, it's faith plus love, now love becomes the condition of my righteousness. See, this is the frustration that Luther's dealing with. Luther is in the midst of a church world of the time that is telling him, Luther, you need to do more. The reason your soul is unsettled, the reason you are not at peace with God, is because you're not doing enough, Luther. But I believe in Jesus. That's not enough, Luther. You got to do more. You, you need to pray more, Luther. You need to study more, Luther. You you need to give and sacrifice more, Luther. You need to be more humble, Luther. You need to be more penitent, Luther. You, you need to be working harder for the church, Luther. You need to be denying yourself of some of the things of life, Luther, if you want. So it always became the plus. And the more plus that Luther did, the more effort he put in, the more he tried, the more frustrated he became, the more unsettled he became, because he came to realize he could never do enough. Where was the end of this? How much was enough? How how much do I have to do to be righteous? And Luther understood that in everything he was doing, he was still a sinner. So that whatever was counted, he, that the church was saying, well, that's a righteous thing. Luther is going, no, it isn't because I'm a sinner and I just did it. And I did it out of anger to God. I am mad at God. I am upset at God. He never gives me any peace. He never gives me joy. He never gives me hope. He never gives me assurance. And I'm doing all this stuff and God don't give it to me. So every time he's doing something, he knows he's doing it out of anger. And it's like, this is never going to end. And tell God. Upon one occasion, as Luther is reading these words, he comes to Romans 1.17. The just, the righteous, or the just, shall live by faith. And it's as if Luther were one of the blind men in the miracles that we read of Jesus, and the scales upon not just his eyes, but the scales upon his mind, the scales upon his heart, the scales upon his soul fell off. And he saw, he saw the truth for the first time. The truth that is righteousness. That righteousness is by faith. And the faith is not of ourselves, lest anyone should boast. It is the gift of God. Faith, the believing God. You want the simplest definition of faith? There it is. Believing God. What do you mean? Believing God? You're a sinner. Do you believe God? Jesus died for sins. Do you believe God? Those who confess the name of Jesus Christ are saved. Do you believe God? But this isn't just some head knowledge. This is life, this is living, this is knowing, this is believing, and this is committing. It's to know it, it's to believe it in the heart, and it's to live it. So when the churchmen of Luther's day want to draw a distinction and say, well, you know, it's faith, and then you have to ask, had to add works, Luther's point is, faith is works. There is no true faith without commitment. It's not faith plus. It is faith and it is faith alone from first to last. From the moment of our being born again to the moment of our last and dying breath. It is faith. It is faith. It is faith. A faith of believing God. A faith that is an active trust, a deep Personal trust in the truth of God. A faith that affects the mind, the heart, the soul, the hands, the feet. The eyes, the ears, the mouth. It's a faith that penetrates one's entire being. That comes from God out of grace. Luther didn't have to work. Luther didn't have to do all these other things. And in that moment, Luther writes, there is a peace that came over my heart and my mind that I had never experienced throughout my life. And that moment in God's providence changed. the course of history. The righteous by faith shall live. This faith that repents of sin, that looks to Christ alone and seeks to follow God's will. It is this faith and it is by this faith that the righteous live. The righteous shall live each and every day with all of its heartaches, with all of its pain, with all of its troubles, with all of its difficulties, with all of its sorrows. Luther is not living in 1517 in the great utopia of life. All there is is misery around. All there is is hardship. All there is is Certainly not optimism, but a pessimism about life. But you live by this faith. You face the trials and difficulties by that faith. You deal with the events of life and all of its twists and all of its turns. By faith. This is the way we live. Trusting God, trusting the promises of God, trusting the grace of God, trusting the gift of faith that God gives to us. Luther, whose life up to this point in time had been lived in sorrow and misery and agony, who had been a, I think we use the term Debbie Downer. He, he, was, he, he was just a miserable guy to be around. His life is transformed. Oh, the circumstances don't change. In fact, one could argue Luther's circumstances only got worse. Right? The day he nails those 95 theses on the door of the Wittenberg Chapel, which was what day, by the way? October 31. What's today? October 31. Right? From that day on, it's not like Luther's life. Yep, free and clear. Man, life is easy. No, no, no. Now we got the Pope and his henchmen and cardinal after cardinal trying to seek his life. He's got to be run around and snuck around. He's got to come under the, the... He's got to come under the the covering of uh, the prince of that day to sneak him around from place to place. He's got to stand before that, that diet of worms and they're going to say, Luther, you either recant this truth or you're going to die. I will not recant. It wasn't like things were all that good. Oh, but they were good in Luther's soul. He had never experienced such hope, such freedom, such joy. The righteous by faith shall live. Lastly, it was freeing. I told you we'd come back to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. The first time this phrase is used, I'll let you look it up later today. The first time this phrase is used in the book of Habakkuk, The prophet is questioning God and he's questioning God because he's looking at life and he's going, Lord, I'm trying to figure things out. It seems like the wicked get away with everything and the righteous get beaten down all the time. And God's answer to him is this. I'm taking care of that. I'm sending the Chaldeans, i.e. Babylonians, to punish those people. And Habakkuk says, so Lord, you're sending somebody who's worse than the present situation we're dealing with. How is that supposed to make things better? Here's the Lord's answer. The righteous shall live by faith. Trust me. Trust me. See, this passage frees us from the doubts of what God may be about and what God may be doing. Maybe a good reminder to us in our day, in our age as well. We don't know what God's plan is for what's going on in our world. But I do know how we're called to live. The righteous shall live by faith. The second time it's used is this passage in Romans. What's the point? I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why would one be ashamed of the gospel? Out of fear. One might be afraid of the gospel, of this message, of preaching this message, of going around the world proclaiming this message, of actually going to a neighbor, to a friend, with this message of the gospel. Do you know the only way of salvation is that the righteous shall live by faith? I'm not ashamed of that. We live in a day and age in which too many Christians are afraid of the gospel. They're afraid of what the culture may say. They're afraid of what the news media may say. And so there is no more proclamation of the Reformation, the just shall live by faith. No, we all got to tolerate one another. And tolerate doesn't just mean, okay, I'm not going to kill you. Tolerate means I have to accept the validity of your belief in Allah as equal to mine. No, my friend, the just shall live by faith. We're not to be afraid of what the world and what the culture. Think of what this meant for Paul. The whole passage was about him going to Rome, right? He's facing the most powerful force in the world. The Roman Empire. He's facing pagan culture. He wants to go to Rome. He wants to go to Rome so that he can preach the gospel there, that he can preach the just shall live by faith. Does he have reason to be afraid? Sure. But he knows God's truth. So he is not ashamed of the gospel in the day and age in which he lived. The righteous shall live. By faith, it's freeing. It's freeing from fear. It's freeing from condemnation. That's the third time the passage is used in Galatians chapter 3. As Paul is writing about the use of the law and how the law just only comes and condemns and beats us down and beats us down and beats us down and beats us down. That's all the law can do. The only thing that God's law can do is condemn us. It can never free us. Only the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Only this message that the righteous shall live by faith. This is what frees us from the condemnation that keeps coming to us. That guilt that keeps overwhelming us. The righteous. Shall live by faith. Do you believe that the one who confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord is one of mine? Do you believe? Do you believe that? Then you're one of His. Where's the condemnation then? It's gone. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Fourthly, it's used in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, 38. The context, once again, is a context of persecution. The context is one of uncertainty. The context is one of difficulty. The context is one of struggles. How does the author of Hebrews say then, how shall we live? The righteous shall live by faith. In the face of our struggles, our everyday, ongoing struggles of life, how do we live? The righteous shall live by faith. What a blessing. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for working in the heart of that man. 500 and some years ago called Martin Luther. Thank you for opening his eyes to the glorious truth of the gospel. And thank you, Father, for the aftermath that has followed. The tens, the hundreds of reformers that followed Luther. Into various ways, yes. But each based upon this glorious truth that the righteous shall live by faith. And we, Father, as sons and daughters perhaps more rightly, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren of this wonderful Reformation. Father, may we too treasure, treasure this glorious truth. The righteous shall live by faith. In Christ alone we pray. And God's people say, Amen. Let's turn to Luther's hymn then, 200 44, 244, we'll sing the first three stanzas and then Ashley will sing that fourth verse as our doxology this morning. Let's stand to sing.